0: son? All right. Excuse me one second. Good to see you all this morning, even visitors here with us today. Nice to have you with us. Again, I say Merry Christmas. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, please. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You could probably say it without even reading it, but we're going to go through it anyway. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I'm sorry, I skipped a line. It looked like italics in my Bible. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray. Lord our God, we are enamored with this story. We're so very thankful this morning as we are always, that God became flesh. That your son came down, leaving the glory of heaven. That he would dwell among humanity, be rejected, and rise again. So we consider this this morning. We acknowledge that he is king. We, like the Magi, see that he is king. And we, too, worship him. So that is what we're here to do this morning, Father, is to worship your son, to give him glory and adoration. And we thank you for him. So we pray that you would open our hearts to your word this morning. Lead us through these words, because we want to know him better. We want to have a deeper fellowship and relationship with him this morning. And so we're thankful, as I said before, like the Magi, you revealed to us this king of the Jews. So thank you for him and thank you for this time in Jesus name. Amen. What a great story. What a great way to start the story of Christmas. That these guys, wherever they were from, however many there were, right, you know there wasn't three. We don't think there was three. There was just whatever there was. There could have been two. There could have been 90. We don't know. It doesn't matter. What matters is they saw the word that told them to look for the Messiah. And they looked and they looked and they looked. And when they saw the sign, they hastened to get there to see him and to worship him. And what did they say? Show us this one who was born. King of the Jews, we have come, however far they came, we have come to worship him. But I was wondering this morning, did they really know what that meant? Did they think he was going to be another temporal ruler on the world? Or did they really know who they were coming to worship? Did they travel all that way, thinking that they were giving honor to a king that they could have a great relationship with when he comes to his throne? Or do they really know who he is? I don't know. I know they left. (laughs) They left. But God wants us to know who he is. God has revealed to us what this word king means. He's not an earthly king. He's greater than that. And when we want to understand exactly what this means, what does it mean that God became flesh? What does it mean that that the prophecy was fulfilled, that the King of the Jews was born, that the Messiah was born? It was hard for them to understand at the time. But there's one person who clearly laid out and left for us the answer to the question. It's Jesus Himself. Turn with me to John eighteen, please. Who is this King of the Jews and why was he born? John 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And the classic reply by Pilate What is truth? Jesus is before Pilate because Pilate is just wanting to know why do these people want to kill this guy so bad? What is such a big deal with this guy that he's brought before me? Well, he claims to be a king. We have no king but Caesar. Kill that man. Are you a king? You know, in all the trials of Jesus, and you look through all the Gospels, he never answers one accusation. He's even asked, don't you care what they say? And he's silent. But when he said, are you a king? He says, you bet I am. You know I am. I'll tell you right to your face, I am a king. I am a king. A lot of translations don't have the word rightly. Rightly. You may have in your Bible, you say I am a king. My New King James, uh, maybe some of the other ones do, they put the word rightly in there to clarify for us what the word say actually means when it's translated. You are accurately saying something that's true. So when we just get the straight translation, you say that I'm a king, it almost sounds like sarcasm, like an argument. But it's really saying from Jesus, I am a king. Why, why is Pilate not threatened immediately? Because Jesus clarifies his kingdom to him. Maybe Pilate doesn't get it. I, I really don't know. But he's he's asking, like, why do these people want to crucify this? Go bad. Is this guy so bad. I love Jesus' answers, and we're going to go through Jesus' answers. Really, what we're going to do this morning, and understand what Christ reveals about himself through his answer to Pilate. The first thing that I like is the possessive answer. My kingdom. My kingdom. You say rightly that I am a king. Going back a little bit, if you, when Pilate first asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 33. Jesus says, are you speaking for yourself, or did others tell you about me? Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. You know, we, we take possession of a lot of things that we don't have the right to take possession of, right? My town. My town my job, my country. There's, we use the word my all the time. This is mine, this is, but it's really not. We just we say we kind of belong to it. We're, we're part of it. But when Jesus says, my kingdom, that's a possession of something that is only his, and he's the only one. It is his kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. He is the sovereign of the kingdom, he is the only one. There's no sharing in the kingdom. He says, not of this world and not from this world. What he's telling Pilate, and again, I don't know if Pilate gets it or not, but we can see it right here. My kingdom is not like any kingdom you know. Don't measure or try and understand my kingdom compared to the kingdoms of the world. Your Roman kingdom, any kingdom that's come before, and any that will come after. Mine doesn't work like yours. Mine is not of this world. I don't operate under the same kingdom rules that you people do. My kingdom is not of this world and is not from this world. It has always existed and it always will be. Man's kingdoms are measured by their power, their domination, right? I thought it would be fun to just spend a little time. that My curiosity got piqued, and I said, let me just see if I could find, like, who, who do people consider the great kings throughout history? And, and I looked at how do they measure? What, what made someone a great king throughout history? Some were pretty decent. I mean, they weren't terrible. Some were really bad, but they were still considered great kings. Why? Because they dominated. How big was their kingdom? How did their kingdom get big? Well, they took it by force, usually. Their army was bigger than any other king's army, so they went and took what they wanted. Jesus Christ my kingdom is not of this world. Your kingdoms, your Roman Empire is the biggest right now because you took what you wanted by force. No one came to you and said, oh, can we be a part of your kingdom? You guys are awesome. All that you do, look at the roads you built. Oh, you got waterways. Can you just come and take all our land and make us serve you? No, it doesn't happen that way. They came in and they marched in and they said, this is ours, by the way. You can try and put up a fight, but we got three hundred thousand guys, you got three hundred. You want to live in our kingdom or you want us just to take your land? That's the kingdom that Pilate understands. That's the way things work in kingdom in, in Pilate's mind. And so Jesus is clarifying that's not my kingdom. My kingdom comes a different way. Look at me. I'm bound. I'm no threat. I'm not here to dominate. I've never, I have never posed any threat. What is one of Pilate's jobs through this time? To quell uprisings. People want to overthrow Rome, especially the Jews. They were revolting frequently. That's how They got some of the guys that were in the prison that were released, like Barnabas, Barabbas in replace of Jesus, right? Jesus said, my kingdom is not like yours. And then he tells them, if my kingdom were of this world, My servants would fight. So the next thing that Christ is revealing to us (laughs) is that he has an army at his beck and call. And you know what he says? If I call them, I'm out. You realize that. I don't know if Pilate realizes this, but it's pretty clear to me. If I call mine, I'm not delivered to the Jews. I'm letting you know right now. I have my army, and if I call them, it's not like maybe I'll get out. My army will fight for me to try and release me. He says, if if I call my servants, I'm not delivered to the Jews. It's done. You realize, I'm going to dominate, I'm going to destroy. That's the magnitude and the power of Christ's kingdom and his army. But he doesn't. he is there to be delivered he is there to be delivered not to be saved so despite the power that's at his command and an army that at his moment's notice will fight for him he doesn't so christ is revealing to us just something so much deeper about his kingdom than what man has ever known or ever considered, about a kingdom. Man's kingdoms, they come and go, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, right? We've probably seen it in the movies a million times. The king, whoever's in charge, he lives in fear all the time of being overtaken. He's got other kingdoms he's got to worry about. He's got people in his own kingdom. All people want is to take his spot. Brothers, siblings, sisters, right? We see it all the time in the movies and in history and all through all through these generations. Um, you know, even England has changed entire families in their kingdoms over the thousands of years that they've had kings. And they just take each other and, and they'll kill each other for the kingdom. And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world because I am the king. I'm the only king. And I will always be the only king. So my kingdom is not from this world. Augustine commented on this verse, that earthly kingdoms are based upon force, pride, the love of human praise, the desire for domination, and self-interest, all even displayed by Pilate in the Roman Empire. David Guzik writes, the heavenly kingdom, exemplified by Jesus in the cross, is based on love, Sacrifice, humility, and righteousness. And then he adds, "And is to the Jews a stumbling block, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles foolishness." First Corinthians one twenty three. Christ's kingdom is not like man's kingdoms. He has come to not establish his kingdom because he's already got a kingdom. He's come to reveal to us that there is access to the kingdom. For this cause I was born, is what he says. For this cause I was born. You know, Christ's kingdom, again, staying on the thought for a little bit longer on why it's different than man's. Albert Barnes writes, Kings of the earth rule by armies. But though he was a king, Yet his dominion was over the heart, subduing evil passions and corrupt desires and bringing the soul to the love of peace and unity. His kingdom's not of this world. Kings of this world say, bow down before me because I command you. Jesus' kingdom, he rules here. He rules here in the heart. He doesn't need to command and force obedience because those who know him as king willfully and joyfully have had a changed heart where he resides and where he lives, where his will, where his nature, where his personality presides and where the nature of man says, man, if I get in charge, I'm going to take control of everything. When the kingdom of Christ comes and reigns in man's heart, it says, how can I love another? How can I be like my king who though he could have called armies and not even gone to the cross on my behalf, still went. Now this kingdom reigns in my heart. I can be like him. The worldly kingdom of man is centered on the temporal gain for man. The worldly temporal temporal kingdom of man says, what can I get for me? What makes me better? What leaves me in history greater? Because I left so much in my name. Christ's kingdom is centered on the soul of man. Do you love like God loves? Do you sacrifice like Christ sacrifices? That is the kingdom of Christ. Proverbs 20.28 says, Mercy and truth preserve the king, and by loving kindness he upholds his throne. That's not man's kingdoms. That's not man's kingdoms. Christ's kingdom is ruled by mercy and truth. By loving kindness, he upholds his throne. How do you know he's the Messiah, the king of all kings? Because he rules by loving kindness. It's mercy and truth. It's righteousness and justice. That is what establishes the king. You know, men may think they can do this, but when you really break it down, they can't. The kingdom of a man's heart cannot be ruled by man. People can force adoration, they can force subjection, but they can never really truly capture a man's heart. Christ can. Christ does. Christ reigns in the heart of man, where no man can. How can we compare great kings, according to man's expectations, When there is a king of kings who exercises all his power and authority, which no man or kingdom can stand up to, with love, humility, sacrifice, and grace. And after telling him all that, my kingdom is not from here, Pilate then looks at him and goes, so you are, king? Yes, Jesus says, I am a king. Verse 37, again, thank you for that lengthy introduction. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. You want to know the story of the manger? You want to know why God came low and became flesh? Jesus says it right here. This is why I came. Not to come and dominate man's kingdoms and take things by force, but to command man's hearts because I'm going to offer myself. The reason he was born, and what he's telling us, and he's telling Pilate, that I should bear witness to the truth. That's the story of the manger. That I should bear witness to the truth. What does he mean by that? Well, we know a witness, right? The witness is the person who can testify. The witness is the person who saw it, who heard it, maybe even participated in it. They know when they're put on the stand and they tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The witness is the one who knows. We're trying to find an answer here. What happened? Did he do it? Did she do it? Did he do it? I don't know. What happened? The witness knows. The witness gets on the stand and says, I know what happened. And that's what Jesus is saying about himself. I am the witness to the truth. Only the witness can tell the truth. What's the opposition's job? To discredit the witness. If you can prove that a witness has ever lied, then you can discredit everything they say on the stand. Well, you might be lying now. Caught you in a lie. You lied 20 years ago. You might be lying right now. Right? When you guys have watched Law & Order, all these shows, you know how it happens, right? Catch them in a lie. You discredit everything they say. Jesus is the truth. And he's the witness to the truth. He cannot be discredited. So what he's going to say is the truth. He is the sole witness to it. Let's not miss this one important word. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's those little words in Scripture that you've got to catch them. They make a big difference. The. The. I bear witness to the truth. What does Pilate say? What is truth? He leaves out the the. He misses the whole point. People today continue to miss the point. They don't realize Oh, well, what is truth? I don't know. What do you think truth is? I don't know. I don't think truth. I'm not even going to get into today's what's going on today about the truth, right? That's that's like a whole grenade in, in the room right now. Truth. What's truth? I don't know. He's just telling the truth. Oh, well, you lied, so I can lie. So you know, well, what is truth, right? It's not about seeking out what truth is. It's what is the truth. It's a singular point. The truth. The truth. Pilate misses it. Again, I'm going to quote Albert Barnes if you don't mind. Jesus does not here affirm that he was born to reign or that this was the design of his coming. But it was to bear witness to and to exhibit the truth. By this he showed what was the nature of his kingdom. It was not to assert power, not to collect armies, not to subdue nations in battle. It was simply to present truth to men and to exercise dominion only by the truth. Hence, the only power put forth in restraining the wicked, in convincing the sinner, in converting the heart, in guiding and leading his people, and in sanctifying them, is that which is produced by applying truth to the mind. Men are not forced or compelled to be Christians. They are made to see that they are sinners, that God is merciful, that they need a Redeemer, that the Lord Jesus is fitted to their case and yield themselves then wholly to his reign. This is all the power ever used in the kingdom of Christ, and no men in his church have a right to use any other. Alas, to hold old Albert Barnes is, alas, how little have persecutors remembered this. And how often, under the pretense of great regard for the kingdom of Jesus, have bigots attempted by force and flames to make all men think as they do. We see here the importance which Jesus attached to truth. It was his sole business in coming into the world. He had no other end than to establish it. We should therefore value it and seek for it as for hid treasures. Brothers and sisters, i got to say this real quick. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, first and foremost in our lives... We have to be about the truth. There's the truth, and I'm going to get into that. But before I forget, there is the truth, and we have to hold to that. We can put aside anything else. It doesn't matter. It's the truth because that's what holds us to the nature of God. In fact, you know the even situ- the situation that Jesus is in testifies to his statement. Are the crimes that they're accusing him of true? No. Man is about dishonesty. Christ's kingdom is about the truth. Man's kingdoms, they're either unjust and they're corrupt or they become it. Christ's never does. The truth. What is the truth then? What is the truth? Turn with me to First Timothy chapter 2. For this cause I was born, that I may bear witness to the truth. What is the truth? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Paul here, in a couple of verses, basically encapsulates for us the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And we'll stop right there. I don't want to go into about Paul. This is about Jesus. For there is one God and one mediator between God. That's the truth. People want to argue what truth is? Whatever. There is the truth. And that is what Jesus Christ came to bear witness. He fulfills the law and the prophets. He is the truth. He is the completion of God's plan and the revelation of God's plan. The truth. What Paul says for us are these points. There is one God. That is the truth. You know, God and man need a mediator. That is the truth. Without a mediator, there is no relationship between God and man. We cannot come before the throne of God on our own merits. It says right here, there is a mediator between God and man. Because there has to be a mediator. We need a mediator. The truth is, there's only one mediator. That's the truth. There's one one mediator. And the truth is, there's only one who can be the mediator. There's only one who can be the mediator. Because God laid out what it takes to be the mediator. And only one met that standard. That's what the wise men were looking for. Who is the Messiah? Who is the one that's going (coughs) to ransom God's people? Who is the one who's going to reign forever? Only one could be that man. The mediator is the bridge between God and man. Jesus has many names, many titles. He's referred to in many different ways. Look what Paul calls him here the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. the Messiah who is God in flesh. See, only when Christ became flesh did this mediation become possible. It was impossible. It was impossible to take away the sins of man by the blood of bulls and goats. They never take away man's sins. The truth is, we needed... The mediator. And it was Jesus Christ. Jesus says, those who are of the truth, hear my voice. The truth is hard. For some, maybe it was really easy. You looked at the scriptures, you heard the story and the gospel, and you went, that makes sense. For some, it's a struggle. Is sure? is this really true? The truth is people want it to be that God is love, and that's true, but that's not the whole truth. The whole truth is God is righteous and just. The hard part of the truth. Because the truth is hard. That in his righteous justice, every man and woman is found short of the glory of God. The hard part of the truth is that this means we can't be in his presence and have fellowship with him. But the truth is also that God is merciful. And in his mercy, he allowed another to take our place. That's the truth. The truth is, we are redeemed, not by gold or silver, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He came to bear witness to the truth. That is the truth. That is the truth. I've got a whole other section. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to start it or not. Um, you know, the truth is, we turn to 1 Timothy 2, we're still there, verse 4. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of what? The truth. The truth. Not truth, not philosophy, not reasoning, not higher intelligence. The truth. And then he tells us what the truth is. This is God's desire. This is God's heart that all men come to the knowledge of the truth. For this cause I was born to bear witness to the truth. This is part of the truth that God desires all men. to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there's some things that happen for us that are part of the truth. And I'll just, I'll just crank through them really fast. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul writes, In him you also trusted when you heard the word of truth. You know, it takes trust but you know what? We have a true and faithful king. So when we put our trust in him, he never lets us down. A king, an earthly king, will let you down the moment it benefits him. Jesus Christ, purpose of his kingdom and his reign is to benefit us. We can trust wholly and completely in him. To the church in Colossae, Colossae, Paul wrote, there's a hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, since the day you heard it and understood the truth. See, the truth brings hope. The truth brings hope. When there's sorrow, when there's pain, when there's loneliness, when there's despair, when there's darkness, And we wonder, will there ever be the light again? There's hope. There's hope. The mystery of the truth has been lifted. And God's heart and plan for man is revealed in the baby king. That's where we find the heart of God towards man. He is the Prince of Peace. And he brings the message of truth to those who will hear it. God is faithful and merciful. I'll give you a little encouragement if you're interested. I would suggest, if you want to seek this further, spend some time, especially in the Gospel of John, looking up all the times Jesus mentions the truth. You'll find it a very interesting study. You will find things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You will find the truth shall set you free. Thirty years before Jesus and Pilate met, give or take, wise men, I don't know if that's just why we call them wise men, by the way, because they were looking. They came and they paid homage to the king. Pilate was presented with the truth and shrugged and asked, "What is truth?" The question today is, who's a pilot and who's a wise man? Who's a pilot and who's a wise man? Who sees the truth and bows down in homage? Says, "You are my king. This is what I have to bring." And who shrugs and goes, what is truth? So as we celebrate Christmas this time, my encouragement to us is to remember and celebrate the King who came, the King who is the witness to the truth, the King who is the truth, the reconciler and mediator between God and man, And all this happened because he was born with a purpose. I'm going to close, and then the music ministry is going to come up, and we're going to sing a couple more songs, because it's Christmas, and I like to sing. Um, And my Christmas present to you is, I'm not singing. But um, the, uh, it's not that funny. The We're we're actually, uh, when we come up, we're going to do a song. You guys can enjoy it. It's meant to be a blessing to the assembly. If you know it, you're more than welcome to sing along. And after we do that song called How Many Kings, uh, you can all stand and we're we're going to go out with a a song. So I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Uh, Let's just close the, the word in prayer, and then we'll come up and we'll sing a little bit more. Father, again, we thank you so much for the Messiah, for the King. He came at the time that you said was right. At the place you said he would come. And he came for a purpose. He came so that we here and all throughout history could have a witness to the truth. One who can testify. This is the truth. That God loves us desperately. That God desperately wants to fellowship with us but we needed a mediator, and that mediator is Christ the King. We thank you for our King. We're so very thankful that he's wonderful, that he's merciful, that he's kind and he's gentle. He seeks not his own, but he comforts and he encourages and he challenges and he builds us up. We're so very thankful for this love and what we found. Like the Magi, there was born a king, and we call him ours. So thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen.